Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest has been a registered nurse for over 29 years. Before getting into care management, her bedside nursing experience included the ER, ECU, doctor's offices, home health, and telephone triage. Now she is the president of Alt International Medical Management, otherwise known as AIM. Her team of nurses and doctors help patients make sure they are getting the right care at the right time in the right place for the right reason at the right price with the right documentation and generating the right outcomes. This is done by ensuring that patients have all the information and tools they need to help them be as healthy and happy as possible as quickly as possible. And she helps patients to navigate the insurance system. Well, that's going to be a tough one. We're going to have to talk about that. She is lovingly referred to as Nurse Deb. Please welcome Nurse Deb Alt. How you doing, Deb? Hey, Dr. Gary. Thanks so much for having me on. So my, my son reminds me, since you're in the medical field, I'm not that kind of doctor. So we should probably drop the doctor for today because <laughs> you're used to walking, working with medical doctors. So let's uh, let's go back in history a little bit before we get to talking about AIM. I'd be interested in hearing why you picked nursing. Where, where was the beginning of that whole career? Oh, my gosh. So I think from the time I was born, my parents told me that when I grew up, I was going to be a doctor. And when uh-huh. I got to be about mm, 14, 15 years old, I kind of thought I was headed down that path, but I became a candy striper at the local rural hospital and finally got to see what being a doctor really meant and decided that was totally not for me. That whole long call 24-7 and the hours that they had to put in and I just, there was no balance whatsoever to their lives. And that definitely was not something I felt called to do. I had other things that I wanted to do, like growing up and getting married and having a family and those kinds of things. So decided that nursing would be a better option for me than becoming a physician. Well, I, I stopped the idea of being a physician when I found out I had a horrible memory. So I, I went from pre-med to engineering because of that. So my path was a little different for a little reason, other reasons. But so what sparked, though, was it being a candy striper that sparked that service kind of approach to medicine that really got you going? Yeah, I think that was a lot of it. And as I became a nurse and got more involved in bedside patient care and began to see some of the things that were happening there, I actually became very anti-managed care which I know is weird for the president of a managed care company to say. But as I began to understand the dynamics of financing healthcare and how healthcare gets paid for and healthcare as a business, I got more and more and more disenfranchised with the American healthcare system. 
And so that's kind of how I ended up in managed care. I actually went to work in telephone triage and ended up through cost-cutting initiatives undertaken by that major university health system here in Ohio that uses the word the quite liberally. When they laid me off, had some difficulties finding another position. And my husband essentially insisted that I apply for a managed care position. I had the good fortune of free education while I was a part of that university health system. So I had actually done a lot of study in business and math and statistics. And then it began to make sense to me that, hey, if we're going to reform the healthcare system in America, we're going to have to do it from the finance side because healthcare is a business. And he who controls the purse strings is going to be ultimately the one who has the authority and the capability to change how healthcare in America works. So you combined your understanding of healthcare at the lower level. I mean, we're talking at the you know the front line as a nurse, you know, as an ER, ICU, the whole nine yards. There, you did that, understood it, saw it, and saw the impact that it was having on the patients. Right. And that's how you became disenfranchised with our present medical health care insurance systems. Yeah, absolutely. I could tell you a story after story of where business of health care got in the way of clinical care. And that just frustrated the heck out of me. And I said, somebody's got to do something about this. And when I wound up in managed care, kind of by default, getting laid off, I originally thought managed care, they were the evil ones, right? They were the ones that were focused on the money and cost cutting. And it's all their fault that patients can't get the things they need. And, you know, we were bathing patients in the ICU with those brown paper towels out of the wall dispenser because they laid off the overnight laundry crew. And, you know, those things. I was blaming the managed care companies and the health insurance companies for and wasn't really understanding what those companies were, what they were about. And I'm not saying that all of them are above blame. That's certainly not the case. Many of them deserve a lot of the bad rep that they get. But I also began when I got on the managed care side to see things like health care providers that are not following evidence-based clinical criteria. So in our Mm -hmm. intro, you left something out. In our world, we say the right patient, getting the right care at the right time, in the right place, for the right price is the goal and objective. Because when you divorce the clinical from the financial, that's where the problem comes in. And there are too few people in our world today, especially in America, who understand both the clinical and the financial components. And until you marry those two pieces together, you'll never have the solution to the healthcare system in America. So it's it sounds like on the clinical side where you started as a nurse, you understood all that and you saw symptoms of what you thought was problems that were caused by managed care, only to find out that it's a lot more complicated than that, isn't it? It absolutely is. There's a combination of factors that cause the system to be broken. And as a very good friend of mine often says, the system isn't broken. It works exactly the way it was designed to work. It just wasn't designed by the patient 
who gets care from the system, or the employer who's the one ultimately funding or paying for the care that the patient is getting. It was developed by financial experts who had no clinical experience or clinicians who had no financial knowledge or experience and patients who it's their body, but they have no financial skin in the game in the equation. And so because all of those pieces are so disparate and have different goals and objectives, it becomes very convoluted very quickly. And ultimately you have someone who's sick, who needs care, who wants the best care. But even though with recent transparency laws, we're heading down the path of price transparency, we're not giving anybody a consumer reports that says this doctor gets an A plus and this doctor gets a C minus. They all walk across the stage in June with the same diploma and get to put MD after their name or DO after their name, right? So how do we know who's the good guy and who's not? Or which facility is really good at ortho, but not so good at neuro? And don't go to either of those facilities if you have a cardiac problem. Mm. And so nurses are uniquely positioned. And it used to be that we had a feel for which doctors, which facilities, which places were good, but we didn't have objective data. But now we're in a position where we actually have objective data. We know readmission rates, complication rates, never event occurrences, infection rates. That data is finally out there. It's not widely generally available to the public, right? So that's a challenge. Um, but we can access the data. So now we can guide patients beyond just, I as a nurse have this clinical background and experience. We can actually back it up with hard, objective, measurable data. So as, as you're talking about this, I'll tell you what popped into my head, and you'll have to excuse the, uh, the, the metaphor here. It sounds like the blind leading the blind to provide service to a patient who's in immediate need. That's right. That's the traditional system. That's the broken system. You know, often a a patient will go to their doctor because they've got a tummy ache and he'll say, well, you need to go to a gastroenterologist. Well, the patient doesn't know any gastroenterologist. So they say to their primary care doctor, well, who do you recommend? Well, he'll recommend somebody that he golfs with or that he goes to church with or that he's in Rotary Club with. He doesn't have any insight into, you know, any of the objective clinical measures for that patient, right? He doesn't even know how many times that guy's been sued or does he have sanctions against his license or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. He just knows him as a nice guy. Well, he knows him because he's got a one handicap. Right. He's a good golfer. Right. So he must be a good gastroenterologist as well. <laughs> must be. Absolutely. So let's, let's back up for a second because when, when did, or how exactly, if you can remember, the epiphany, you talked about this kind of epiphany when you started to put all the pieces together. You know, when did that happen for you? How did, and how did that happen where you just kind of went, oh my gosh, you know, like all these years I was negative against, you know, managed care providers and, or, or this, and you, you, your eyes started to open up when you worked for them. But was there like a moment in time where it just, you were just like, OMG? Yeah. So I took a job at a managed care company because I needed a job. Right. Right. I was very fortunate that that managed care company was following Catherine Mullahay's principles of care management. So she's kind of the grandmother of patient advocacy and holistic care management. And so I read her book, Case Manager's Handbook. 
and got to meet her and sit down and talk to her for a little bit. And that's kind of when the light bulb came on for me that, oh my Mm -hmm. God, we can fix this. Because here's the great dichotomy of healthcare in America. If you get the right patient to the right care, meaning the best care, right? Mm -hmm. And here's the interesting thing. There are enough double-blind, randomized, clinical controlled trial studies published that for most things, we know what the best care is. We know where the benefits outweigh the risk. Now, that's hard to keep up on if you're a bedside practitioner and you're trying to read a thousand medical journal articles a month, but... And, and isn't that the problem is is the real challenge for a lot of the doctors, not because they don't want to, but the, how, how can they possibly keep up to, up to date on all this? And this is worldwide now. This, is, this isn't, this is you know, a study that was done in, in Dallas. This might be a study that was done in Kiev or, you know, somewhere else in the world that they've found something new and trying to stay up to up to date on this stuff has got to be a real challenge. Yeah, if they do it the old-fashioned way, it's impossible, right? right? If they're just getting the subscription mailed to their mailbox and hoping that they're going to sit down at bedtime and read an article without falling asleep, impossible. But for over 20 years now, there's been a clinical criteria that's evidence-based called MCG. Mm. And so they can purchase a subscription And that very clearly in bullet point format outlines for them when a CT scan is appropriate, when a hysterectomy is appropriate, and whether it should be laparoscopic or open. And so that stuff exists, but it costs money to license that product and it's not cheap. Mm. You know, they've got thousands of doctors who are doing that research and reading the studies and weighting them and developing the clinical criteria. And it's a fabulous tool. And we license it and use it for our company, right? But for a single practitioner or at the bedside, is that really where they want to spend their money? Well, and then the question to me is how much are they going to spend if they get sued? So. Right. Or how much are they spending on insurance? You've now you've you've gone you've you've gone to the dark side, right? Because <laughs> you're you're not just taking all this knowledge and and on a mission, but now you've built a company around this. How did that come about? That's a very very funny story that probably would be best enhanced by a nice bottle of wine. But ultimately, you can do that. <laughs> <laughs> ultimately, it was all my husband's fault. Ah. I was building managed care companies for third party administrators for other people, and of course, as is very common in our industry, got tired of the spinoff, merge, acquire, you know, venture capital, private equity, you know, blah blah blah, that whole rigmarole. And so, said to him one day, you know, the private equity venture capital guys that bought my company and not my kind of people. We're not going to get along. This is not going to be a long-term relationship. I'm going to need to look for another job. And he said, "Hmm, I've got your next job picked out for you already. I think you should build one of these for us rather than doing it for other people. So we, 18 years ago, began bootstrapping our way to where we're at now. And, uh, are very excited by where it's gone. And over the last three to four years have finally seen the market going, oh my God, this is what we need. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's quite a husband you've got there that uh, not only, you know, push you to take the idea uh, and use your talents to do that, but to support you in that. That's awesome. There's an example of leadership right there, right? When right? we can when we can lead our spouse, that's <laughs> and see the talents, obviously he sees the talent that you have. 
and supports it. So, so what's it like over the last 18 years running a small business like this as, a, as the uh, owner, president, whatever the role is, you know, you've got people working for you now. So now instead of running another company or running something, you've got to worry about payroll. You've got to worry about all the regulations, the insurances, all those things. As an entrepreneur, how how was that shift 18 years ago? <laughs> that first two weeks in when a company paycheck doesn't show up direct deposited into your accounts, a real eye-opener. <laughs> <laughs> what happened? What happened? Right? Right? Oh my God. I remember saying to my husband when he's proposed that we build our own company, what did you hit the lottery or something? It's going to take $250,000 to even start up an organization like this. And he said, well, I've squirreled away 12 grand. What can you do with that? <laughs> and- Doing quick math, that's like less than 5%, but isn't that, isn't that great? So you fi- obviously, you've been around 18 years. You figured it out. We figured it out. We, we started we started our company in an 8 by 10 bedroom of a house that we borrowed from my parents. And uh, I locked myself in the room on Friday and woke him up Monday morning at 8 o'clock and said, hey, it's time to get your butt to work. You now are co-owner of a company, and we need to go out and sell something. So that's great. That's That's the CEO taking charge, right? It's not often you have to walk in your own bedroom and say, it's time for you to get up and get out. But that's great. Time to go to work. Time to go to work. Time to go to work. (laughs) Compassionate accountability. Did you give him a kiss? You got to have compassionate accountability. So you give him a kiss, then you tell him to get the hell out of bed, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's been quite an adventure. So you you got this started. When did you first hire your first employee? Oh my gosh. We did not hire our first employee until probably somewhere about year two, because not only did we have to build the company from ground up, but there were no softwares to support any of what we were doing that at least none that we could afford. I mean, there was Mm -hmm. one that was out there for, you know, a hundred and some grand that then you had to put another hundred grand into customizing and blah, blah, blah. And we're like, well, that's never going to work. You know, we have pencils and paper, (laughs) but we have computers. Um, So we actually started out using an Excel spreadsheet to keep track of everything. Mm -hmm. So we had to build it all from the ground up, spent that first year, getting to know potential customers, landing a customer or two. I think at the end of the first year, we had three customers. And so a lot of manual stuff. And we just knew that wasn't scalable. So um, building processes, building softwares, all that kind of stuff before we ever hired the first employee. And I think that first employee lasted maybe six months before she moved on to something else. And then we had a lag and you know, was another three, four months before we even replaced her. Um, Fortunately, now we're up to about 25 employees full-time every day, but that's quite an adventure. You know, when that first paycheck doesn't come in and landing that first customer and doing everything you can to um, service them, right? Um, It's a whole different ballgame for sure. Yeah. Let's Talk about that transition when you've gone from when you were a nurse working in a hospital or at a doctor's office. Did you have other nurses working for you? Usually. And if not other nurses, then you would have like medical assistants and nursing assistants and unit secretaries. So as an RN, you're kind of always have other people that are working with you and that you're able to delegate to and that kind of thing. Yeah. So a lot of it working with you, you're delegating tasks. It's a very tactical thing. But now as a business owner, 
you've got these 25 employees and it becomes more strategic. It becomes bigger picture. Yeah. How, how, what have you learned over the years in terms of your leadership and management capabilities over 18 years from one employee to 25 employees and how that, um, how those skills in yourself have shifted over the years? So I would say it's a continual learning process. So prior to becoming a nurse, I was in the military. I had the good fortune of being a drill sergeant. So I learned that method of quote unquote leadership, which is not really leadership at all, right? Well, not as a drill sergeant, no. <laughs> right. But, but there's other roles that in the military that have a lot to do with leadership. So absolutely. It, it, yeah. Yeah. I had forgotten that you were in the military and a drill sergeant. So, uh, so you go from that to being in nursing to now running your own business. Are you a drill sergeant in your business now? Sometimes I am. I try not well, to. the first day you were. <laughs> right. The, the first day. Absolutely. Get out of bed. Go to work. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And those skills are still coming handy on occasion, I will admit. Um, but I did have the good fortune of getting my master's in business. And I consider myself kind of a perpetual student. So I've done a lot of Zig Ziglar types of courses and Dale Carnegie courses and became a member of the Hero Club club and took Trey Taylor's CEO Academy and hired a business coach through Action Coach. I think the one thing that I know is that I want to be a leader. I have a responsibility to be a leader if I'm going to accomplish the social cause that I'm called to accomplish. And so the one thing that I tell my people all the time is I'm definitely not the best leader in the world, but I try awfully hard and I try to get them to give me credit for trying, but it's definitely an ongoing development process. Yeah. So as we, as we know, the best way for you to get credit is to share it, right? Absolutely. You know, you, you get what you give. So what what do you think now as you continue to grow and, and as, a, as a, a company leader with these people, one of the things that you've stated that's really, really important that we talk about all the time on Good to Great, Jim Collins says that the most important value of a human and a leader is humility. And you've just demonstrated that by saying, look, I'm not the best leader in the world, doing the best I can. I'll try. Give me credit for trying. So what does that what does that say? That says to me that your people are are given the freedom to let you know when you might have screwed up. Absolutely. Do they do that? They do. I'm very fortunate in that regard. And yeah. and they'll um, give me the opportunity to fix it before it gets to impacting the patient or impacting the customer or um, impacting our referral source. You know, I always tell people, um, you want to run to mama before the neighbor runs to mama, <laughs> right? And so they'll go, um, yeah, are we really going that direction on this? So I'm very, very fortunate. And all of my entire family works in our company, right? So mm-hmm. my husband is our chief operating officer. We call him affectionately the king of all things non-human. So if it doesn't have to do with a human being, he's in charge of it. Our son is our chief financial officer. So he handles all the money stuff. Our daughter-in-law is our chief human resources officer. She's the lovey-dovey, touchy-feely one of the group, 
right? Right. And so you have somebody in there with heart, right, Deb? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> somebody who's not a drill sergeant. And my manager of clinical operations has been with me for more than five years. Our manager of administrative operations, pretty close to that as well. So we really view our entire team, especially our leadership team, as family. We're all on the same mission together. But I, you know, I talk about this with my, my brother works for me. So I get to work with my, my family. And, and, uh, as he always says, when he does stuff for me, he just sends me a text saying, I G Y B I've got your back. And that's exactly what you're talking about is you've got each other's back. It's, it's about, it's about taking care of the patients and the customers and the business. And it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. If, if somebody stumbles, you know, we're there, we're there to catch you. And if we have each other's back, that's the essence of leadership is people understand what the goal is, what the direction is, what the mission is. And if everybody's working towards that, we've got each other's back. It makes for a pretty good working environment, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. I'd say our working environment is one of the most fun that I've ever been in. Um, And we're fortunate because we're able to recruit a variety of people. We've um, got a very diverse population in terms of age and race and gender. It's been interesting because we are very public about our mission, right? And curing what's broken about healthcare one patient at a time. And so people come to us for a variety of reasons. And as we talk to them about why are you applying for this position? You know, it's interesting the things that they say are wrong with healthcare in America or what their personal experiences have been with healthcare in America and why they want to become a part of that mission. And that, to me, is the long-term key. If the company is going to continue, I mean, you know, I'm no spring chicken, right? I'm eventually going to exit out. If the company is going to continue and the mission hasn't been achieved, and let's face it, the mission's never going to be 100% achieved. There's always going to be opportunity for improvement in the healthcare system. Then it has to have those folks on that mission alongside me now to fill in as I move on to other things. So it's been quite a a dynamic journey and an exciting one to be on for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like in your interview process, you make sure that people have the same values and the same respect for that mission so that when they get there and somebody thinks that we're going in a wrong direction or doing something wrong, they can raise their hand and everybody has the are as empowered as we love to say, right? Just give them, give them permission to speak up, right? right? Because as you said, okay, I'm going to go back to it, not to help patients, but to help the right patients, right? Right. With the right care, right time, right place, right reason, right price, right documentation, right outcome. That's what your mission is, is to make all those things right. That's right. Absolutely. And the only way to do that is as a team, you can't, are you smart enough to do this all by yourself? I know the answer to that. I know I'm not. I don't think anybody is. That's right. But you're all smart enough together. And by hiring the right people that, gosh, they're in an environment where I can actually tell Nurse Deb, oh, maybe we ought to try this. And they go, yeah. In fact, that's what we want you to do, right? Right. It's so important in our organization. We're getting ready to do our annual training day here coming up. And we literally print all of our company values and culture statements and go over them verbally 
all in their entirety once a year. And then every month we have this giant whiteboard in the center of our call center. And that value is up on the top of the whiteboard. And our team graffitis ways that they have seen others on the team fulfilling that value or that mission. Because to me, that corporate culture, that tone, that attitude is the most important factor in our ongoing success. Yeah. So, so your values aren't in some drawer somewhere collecting dust. I mean, <laughs> I talk to CEOs sometimes that you have a mission and value system. Yeah. We've got some somewhere around here and they're looking around. You're like, what are you looking for, man? <laughs> you know, so, but you keep it right in front of everybody every day. That's, that's, that's awesome. So let me, let me ask you my, my final question. I always get to ask my, my guests, nurse Deb, if you could write yourself a letter, and send it to yourself 20 years ago or 30 years ago, let's say 19 years ago, at least since you started this business 18 years ago, what would you have written to yourself? Oh, that's an interesting one. Depends on the day and the moment. Some days I would write myself, don't do it. <laughs> it's yeah, such a uh-huh. big daunting task, right? Yeah. It's not going to go as fast as you think that it's going to go. Mm. It's going to take a while to get other people to see that the solution is possible, right? To get them Mm. to believe that it can be solved. Get more people faster, I think, Mm. would be the one piece Mm. of advice. Get your tribe established sooner in the process. Yeah. Did you have any idea 20 years ago before you started this that you would be working with your husband, your son, your daughter-in-law and have such a family business with 25 people and these values and a culture that people enjoy working in. Like you said, I've, I, I never had any place that I had this much fun. Did yeah. you ever envision that? I did not. I did not. No. I, I, I don't think you can, you can see it at that point. You just see there's a problem and somebody has got to solve it and I might as well try. Mm-hmm. And fortunately it turns out good sometimes. Yeah, I I think it's turned out great. Well, Nurse Deb, thank you so much for being our guest today. Uh, We've learned a little bit about the healthcare system and the complexity of it. And I've learned a a few things about vocabulary. Make sure from now on you help the right patients to get all those things. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for being our guest today, Nurse Deb. Thanks for having me. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.